Will you turn to First Samuel? First Samuel, chapter seventeen, please. Probably the most widely known chapter in this book, and it's a very well-known story. We'll not read all of it, but we will read some of it and then refer to other parts of it. First Samuel seventeen, beginning to read at verse thirty-eight. Verse 38, please. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he has said the go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, but he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied thee. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, that we know that you are our God this morning, our Father who loves us and gave his own beloved Son for us. We thank you this morning, Lord, that we have remembered you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for those you have brought out to this place this morning under the sound of your word and, Lord, also to break bread and drink from the cup, to worship you, to praise you, to bless you and to magnify your name. We pray, Lord, that the hearts of your people will be stirred and encouraged, built up and touched by your spirit and that the word of God would find a lodging place in every heart. And, O oh God, that the hearts of men and women this morning, the blood-washed, those who are blood-bought, will find themselves, Lord, rehearsing your own precious word of truth within their spirit, deep into their soul. And that, Lord, this morning we may all leave here built up upon our most holy faith and blessed in the Lord, strengthened for today and tomorrow when the days that lie ahead. So, Lord, take your word and bless those who are watching live from around the world, those who are way ahead of us in Australia, New Zealand, and those who are behind us in America, we pray, Lord, that they would receive the blessing also. So, Father, this day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. So we will rejoice and be glad in it. Help us to leave behind all of our worries and our fears. And help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on Christ, the stiller of the storms. We ask it in his precious and worthy, most powerful and wonderful name. 
Cover us in the blood, we pray. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. Our title for this morning is God's Armor or Man's Armor. God's Armor or Man's Armor. What have you got on you this day? What have you placed on you this morning? God's armor or man's armor? And what are you trusting in today? God's armor or man's armor? You know, the word armor, the English word armor, is mentioned some 24 times throughout Scripture. So I read every instance that I could find that it was written in every verse. I read around them to see what the context of it was. And hence the Lord directed me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, strange or maybe it isn't that Wendy had chosen a hymn that I don't really know to open up this morning. And the words were like this, O church arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we stand against the devil's lies. An army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Surely that was spirit-led this morning, Wendy, that the Lord had led you to play that this morning. So what armor are we trusting in? Man in our nation today is trusting in everything but God. Trusting in everyone but the Lord. And on verse 39 of our reading, when Saul placed his armor, man's armor, on David, it says this. David replies, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. So this morning at the outset of this, whatever it is that is not of God in your life, what your hope is in and what you're trusting in, put it off you because if it is not of the Lord, then it will do you little good. David says, I cannot, not I will not, but I can't go with these. For I have not proved them, and David put them off. Saul, the king, was a Benjaminite. He wasn't even from the tribe of Judah, the line the kings were to come from. David was the first anointed king of Judah. And Saul, although the scriptures tell us he was head and shoulders above every other Israelite, he looked the part. He looked apart. He was head and shoulder at 1 Samuel 9. Every other man in Israel, you might say, where do I find that out and how do you know that? 1 Samuel 9 and 3 will tell you that. Write it down. Read it when you go home. From the, the, the neck up, the shoulders up, he was above all others. And he had the stature. But that was not what God was looking for. God had already chosen, elected, and ordained David a shepherd boy in the fields, and anointed him to be king over Israel. Saul, although head and shoulders above all the other Israelites, was afraid of the enemy. Was afraid of this giant we know who is called Goliath. And although David was but a stripling of a lad, a young boy, Although he was a youth with a, a ruddy complexion and a fair countenance, it says in our reading. By the way, the word ruddy there is the word anmoni, admoni, and it simply means red. It comes from the word adam, where we get adam from, which also means rosy, red, one who can show blood in the face, 
In other words, you could be embarrassed. And Adam was embarrassed in his sin in the garden when God came for he ran and hid himself and tried to cover his sins. Hence the blushing of our skin. And David, it says, he was red. It means red-haired. Maybe he had a fiery temper. Maybe an auburn color. We don't know. It means red. And he was without a military background. Saul saw something in this stripling of a boy. I want you to take note of this. This is important. Saul saw something on him, saw something in him. Saul saw something about David. And what he saw and he couldn't put his finger on and what he couldn't lay hold on or fully understand was that God had anointed David through Samuel the prophet on two occasions in his life. But here he is anointed by Samuel. And Saul knew there was something about this boy that brought hope to his helpless case. David was God's anointed. And while Saul saw it, I want you to take note, brother, sister, because when God blesses you in life, let me put it simply as when God's anointing is on a man or woman, when God is using them, there are those who look to you for they know there's something different about you. They know there's something different in you. And it is the anointing of God. Now, take note. Saul saw it, knew it, and needed it. He needed it, and it wasn't in him, but he recognized the one in whom the anointing was, and hence he was glad of it to send this boy out to battle against the enemy and against the giant. All good, and he rescues Israel by slaying their enemies. But here is the downside of this. The very same anointing which Saul recognized as something different about David was the very same anointing that Saul hated about David later. And isn't it the truth? There are those who will see something in you and realize you can help them. You can minister to them. Isn't it true that they see something Christ in you, the anointing of the Spirit on you, and they realize, oh, well, God is using this person. I must draw close. But later on, when you relieve them from the enemy's grip, they then later may see that exact same anointing. It hasn't changed. They see that on you and they start to detest you for it. I'm sure all of us have found someone who has been riding on our coattails till they get what they want, until they get the status they think they need, and then they turn on you. Saul did this with David. Saul hated him. Turn with me briefly to 1 Samuel 19, just for a few verses. 1 Samuel 19 and verse 8, please. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. Notice, and the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand and David played with his hand. Here's David in the palace of Saul, not knowing the heart that's behind this man, realizing that I'm going to play my harp. And as I play my harp and worship the Lord, this spirit that is 
resting on Saul that it will leave in the name of the Lord. Starts to play. And his hands are for the good, playing the harp, worshiping the Lord. I would love to have sensed the presence of the Lord there. And on the other side of the room, as it were, there's Saul with his javelin in his hand. Oh boy, what a difference here. And he's ready to spear David to the wall. Who's trying to help him? Who's trying to help him? And Saul, first hand, sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Oh, to be able to stay in that place of acceptance. When God is anointing that person and blessing on them is very evident. From Saul at the beginning, I'm glad to see this stripling. There's something about him. We'll send him out. He defeats the enemy. And he's awful. I'm so glad you've defeated my enemy for me. And he brings him in and he starts to bring him along in the armies of Israel. That name grew up. And then he starts to detest him. You find through the scriptures, David's heart for Saul didn't change. Saul's heart for David. Or to be able to stay in that place when God is is anointing that person and his blessing on them is evident. They are useful and helpful in your life of need and in a time of distress, but it is despised and unwanted when the enemy at that present moment is no longer and now is gone and is not a threat. And eventually you become the figure of hate and you become the new giant in the way of your enemy. You become the new giant in the way of your enemy. In 1 Samuel 13 and 4, Yahweh says of David, sorry, verse 14, 13, chapter 13, verse 14, Yahweh says of David, I have found a man after mine own heart. I want to take a quote from my late pastor, Pastor James McConnell. This is what he said. He'd done a series of 20 or so years ago on the life of David. And they're actually going to be putting it into a book before his passing. It hasn't been finished. So hopefully it will be at some point. Listen to what he says. I have found a man after mine own heart. I quote him. Yet when God said that, David was a boy. But a man was inside him. God saw in that shepherd boy what no one else saw. God saw a king, a warrior, a poet, a leader, a giant killer. What does God see in you? End of quote. What does God see in you this morning, brother? What does God say in you this morning, sister, and in me? When the spirit like uh, x-ray vision looks through us to scan our soul, what does he see in our lifestyle? What does God see? But also, the question isn't what do people see in you? It isn't what does your friends see or what does your family see in you? The question is what does God see in you? While our witness and our testimony is precious, your witness and your testimony is precious, and while our witness and testimony is priceless, while our witness and testimony must be protected, 
So much so that we must abstain from all appearance of evil, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22, to abstain from it. In other words, God wants our testimony and our witness to be a true testimony and a true witness. Take note. We must realize this, brothers and sisters. There are those in society today who will never believe in you, who will never believe in your profession of faith, who will never believe in your service for God, who will never believe in your testimony of salvation and in your work for the Lord and in your labor of love for his kingdom. There will always be those, whether it is in church or outside of it, that will not accept you and what God is doing with you and in you. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be right no matter what you do. You're always wrong. You'll never be as good as them. You get that, don't you? The self-righteousness that says you're not as good as me. I'm better than you. Oh, they say it in different words. They put it in different themes, but that's what they say. You people are not as good as me. There'll be those who will say, you're not as holy as I am. You're not as spiritual as us. You don't look right. You don't live right. You don't walk right. No matter what you do, But we must realize this, brother, sister. We must realize this. Your worth is not found in their evaluation of you. I'm going to say it again. Your worth is not found in their evaluation of you. Your salvation is not found in their estimation of you. And your peace is not found in their lack of praise of you. In other words, encouragement. When we look at these things, we're looking at things that are like the armor of another, an armor of the world, or an armor of church acceptance. And brothers and sisters, one is as bad as another. That's man's armor. You and I are to put on the whole armor of who? Come on, shut it out. The whole armor of God. And walk in that. So consider this. Sat yesterday morning. Got this. Kept seeing this verse. Put on the whole arm of God. Came up everywhere. Social media. Um, I was reading the next thing. There it was again. I opened the book and there it was again. And Wendy had picked this song. And I went, well, I'll have to do something on the armor. I went up. went yesterday morning. And I just sat and wrote the whole day. Till... I think it was about six, six o'clock last night or so. Just sat studying and writing. Just out of my own well, this is. All of this. And I was challenged in it. But my Lord, my Lord comforted me in it. And encouraged me in it. Consider this. There only ever was one perfect, sinless, pure, spotless, holy, and impeccable man. And while some loved him, and while some followed him, and while some used him for what they could get, yet most rejected him. Most rejected him. Of course, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Your worth, that is, in Christ. We're worthless as sinners. But he gave his life for you. That's what he thought. So your worth, your peace, and your salvation is not 
in the unwelcomed armor and laudits and the plaudits of man. But as that which Christ hath said we are, we are his. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 puts it like this. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, notice, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice, a good work. When you get saved, God started to perform a good work and he's still working in you. He's still working with you. He's still working for you. But he which hath begun a good work will perform it until the, G- the day of Jesus Christ. And here's what I've wrote. Brother, sister, you can't quit now. You can't quit now. Because God is not finished with you yet. Because God is not finished with you yet. And you might be looking at someone else saying, ah, troublemaker, ah, sin, ah, this or that or the other. Listen, you can't quit on them now either because God's not finished with them yet. Don't judge someone who's going through a difficult season. Don't judge someone who's made a few mistakes and needs their, your help. And don't judge someone who's had a bad day or even a bad week. Remember their character, their walk with Christ in normal times as we could call In Colossians. And help them along. In Colossians 1 and verse 29, the apostle again he writes, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his Working, notice, according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. That's powerful. See, when I read that yesterday, when I read that yesterday, I stand up from behind my desk and I was, I was, I was ready to jump over the top of it, only it's against the wall. But the word of God, it, it, it encourages you. It's, it puts a lining in you. Feeds you. Let me read it again. Colossians 1 and verse 29. We're on to, this is Paul writing. We're on to, I also labor, notice, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. I'm going to break this down because this thrilled me. Many times I've read it, but this thrilled me yesterday and I trust it will encourage you, even convict you to to go on, compel you, convince you. The word, for example, to strive, I also labor striving. It's a big long word. I'll I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's the word anagonzomai. Want me to spell it? A G, this is the English rendering. O N I D Z O M A H E E. Sounds like my. The A H E sounds like my, but it's actually, we would read it ahi, but it's my pronounced. Now notice this the striving. This word gives the idea, excuse me, to contend in. For example, the Greek games of the day. The Greek games. Paul says, I labor. Paul, the man, I labor. Striving. You know what he's telling you right away? It's not an easy life to be a Christian. If you're willing to step out and stand out and serve the Lord. We can't be the Christian who hides behind everyone and everything else. But Paul says this word, 
I also labor striving. It's not easy, he's telling me. And I says, Paul, you understand how I feel. Paul, you understand the things I go through. Paul, you understand the hurts and the struggles. You understand the ones who come against you and speak against you. You understand it, Paul. You've been through it. And he's saying, yes, I do. He says, I also labor striving. You know, sometimes, brothers and sisters, our prayers need legs. Do you know that? Our prayers need legs. Pray and press on. Pray and press on. Pray and press on. It gives the idea of to contend in the Greek games. It gives the idea of contending with adversaries. It gives the idea of, of endeavoring with strenuous zeal, trying to obtain something. So the Christian life isn't all a bed of roses in your best life now. Well, let me tell you something about, if, if this is your best life now, what about heaven? What about the kingdom of God? What about when Christ returns and changes your vile body to be fashioned like onto his own glorious body? If this is your best life now, well, you might as well go and enjoy it. Our best life is at the coming of Christ. Striving, brother, you're going to get it hard. Too many Christians are still on the milk. Still on the milk. Strange because early this morning, I always get up early and get myself together and short and ready and go downstairs and get my breakfast and I read the word and maybe just think about what I'm speaking on and pray. And, and yes, as a good husband, I bring my wife up hers. It's the only time the whole week. Dear lover. She says, would you put Hardy out? That's my dog, in case you don't know. He sleeps in the garage in a big, massive, comfy bed. And I says, I will. And I went down, and he's ready to go out. And there's his dish, and I thought, you know what? I gave him, we were given these wee bottles of dog milk. And I went, they're only wee small ones for pups. And I opened it up, and I thought, here, you like this? And I emptied them into, the, into his bowl. And he looked at it as if to go, what's that? <laughs> you could read his mind nearly. Like, what, what is this? Smelt it, he tasted it, and he liked it. But while he was doing that, I went in and had some meat that we had, and we were going to give him, I'll give him a wee bit of this meat that had been cooked, not dog meat. And I thought, I'll give him a wee bit of this as well. And I come out with it on the end of an old fork that we have for his food. And there he is in the milk, and I put it like this to see what he would do. He looked at the milk, and he looked at the meat. So I'm going for the meat. And it struck me. Strange how the Lord can speak in your, to you in, in the most simplest of things. It struck me. Most of my people are still on that milk. They're not appetized by the meat of the word. In the meat of living for him. The meat of living for him. When you're a new, a, a new Christian, no matter where you're nine or ninety and you're saved, you're, you're, you're young, you're born again, newly born in Christ. It doesn't matter how old you are in the flesh, it's when you're born again. You need the milk no matter how old you are in the flesh. There's some Christians that have been on the milk for the last 20 or 30 or 40, 50 years. Paul is saying here, this is easy. And you won't get it easy. But he's saying God is working in you mightily. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints The perseverance of the saints 
And people think then, the perseverance is all the saint doing it. No, it's God and the saint doing it. But the saint has to press on. The perseverance of the saints is the preservation of the Holy Ghost. Preserving you and you laboring like Paul in the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the word here means that Paul was striving. Look at, if you will, with me for a moment. 1 Timothy 6 and 12. I'll read it if you want me just to do that for time's sake. Paul writes, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Think of a wee fault here, have I? Okay. So screw loose. Thank you, Andrew. Might be seeing the Lord quicker than I think. I'll hold it if it helps. Try this. Thank you. And listen to this. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Reach out for it. It's not for your salvation, but because you're saved. Keep Christ in view all the time. Keep the kingdom ahead of you. You're looking at your You're looking at your future in Christ. Lay hold on it in your weakest moments, in your tiredest times, in your worst times. Lay hold on eternal life. In other words, I'm saved and I'm pressing on toward the kingdom. The devil hates you and the Goliath is in front of you and the Philistines are around you and everybody else is looking at you. Just you keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on Christ. See the word here, fight, the good fight of faith. The word fight, the first word, fight. It's the same word as Paul says, I also labor, striving. It's the same word. Fight the good fight, the word fight at the, take note of this, the second word fight in that verse. 1 Timothy 6 and 12. The second word, fight, is a word, agon. And it's just the, if you want the root of the first word we gave you for strive and fight, it's a word, agon. And this is what it gives the idea of. You ready? It means conflict. But it also gives the idea of an assembly place. In other words, Paul fought where and when the fight came to him. The Philistines had gathered. Israel had gathered. That would be classed as the Agon fight. The assembling of the armies. The assembling of God's people. The assembling of the wicked. Ready to do war and battle one with another. Most of all, many Christians have forgot how to war. Spiritual warfare. Forgot the war, spiritual warfare. Instead, it's roll over onto your back, show your belly, and let everyone tickle it. And be a good Christian. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold in eternal life, for unto thou hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And so... Little did David know that his shepherding in the fields while watching the flock of sheep, God was bringing him into a place of preparation. A place of preparation 
for this moment before the giant and his army. God was working in David and he didn't realize it. And now the giant is there. The anointing is on him. The enemies are facing him. And God had been working in him mightily that David would be able to kill the giant. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 33 to 37, Notice what it says. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Now take note, and David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept thy father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took the lamb, a lamb out of the flock, and I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of the mouth. Out of his mouth, and when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go! And the Lord be with thee. David in the anointing of the Spirit said, My God has prepared me for this moment. Christian, it's time to get real, to get right, and to get serious with the devil. Hold on a minute. My God has brought me through so much. My God has brought me through many trials. And he's brought me through for this moment that I will slay you, that I will not be afraid of you, that the Lord, the God, the God of the armies of Israel, will be glorified in our midst. Brothers and sisters, whose armor have you on? See that anointing. Do you see the trials and the troubles and the tribulations and the testings that David came through with the lion, the bear, and many other things? All of those were terrible times for him. Think of it. A lion taking a lamb. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't fancy running after it. A bear. I wouldn't fancy challenging it. But David did. God had anointed him. And brothers and sisters, take note of it. God was preparing David for a vital moment in the history of Israel. The history of this day you're listening to it. Because this word is the living word for this moment. Boy, I must round up soon. 1 Samuel 17 and 38, Saul armed David with his armor. Saul armed David with his armor. Saul was thinking of the natural. Saul was thinking he needed the best armor to go out with. And of course, what better armor than that which the king owned and used? Saul was thinking in the human sense. But David was thinking it with the spiritual mind, with the teaching of God, of the fields with the sheep. And in verse 39 of our reading, he says, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. I was thinking about this yesterday, and here's what I've written. So stay with me as as I read this, I just wrote it as I was thinking about it. David was saying, I cannot trust man's armor against this giant. I can only trust God's armor against this giant. 
But David, some might say, Saul's armor is the strongest armor. Saul's armor is the most tested armor in battle. And Saul's armor is the greatest armor in Israel. You don't have any armor, David. And that which you're saying is your armor is invisible armor. Where is it? Your armor is make-believe armor. Your armor is fantasy armor. Your armor is fairy tale armor. Your armor is no armor at all. The natural man I with David. David could reply, My armor is the armor of God. You may not be able to see it. All you people may not be able to see it. And Saul may not be able to see it. Even Samuel may know about it. He says, you may not be able to see it, but I have proved it. Because he hath been with me every step of the way. And given me victory after victory. And every victory I have had, he has lined me. And he has covered me. That I may be here for this moment. In Psalm 20 and verse 7, is it any wonder, David writes, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord. Notice, we will remember the name of the Lord. That's David's battle cry in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come unto thee. In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast to fight. See, he remembered the name of the Lord. And he remembered God has a greater army than all the armies of the devil. So, in closing, David, as we know, takes five smooth stones out of the brook. One of them he uses to slay Goliath. Strange, for a couple or three, maybe, yeah, a couple of, th- couple of weeks ago, someone from another church sent me a message. Can you tell me why David took five stones when he only needed one? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> the skeptics and even the Christians who are a bit skeptical about it say, well, David took five stones in case he missed Goliath with the first. He had five ghosts. <laughs> Others have said, well, he took five stones in case when he slew Goliath, the Philistines ran at him, and the only weapon he had was his sling with four other stones. But in 2 Samuel 21, verses 18 to 22, there are four other giants that are mentioned. Some say they are Goliath's brother. And there's four of them. And many think... I'm not fundamental on it, so we're dogmatic on it. But many think, what if these brothers were with him? He has killed my brother, and the four brothers come after him. David was prepared for every event. David was prepared for everything that would come. And he was just saying, basically, bring it on. Come on, bring it on. And David takes his sling and lets go of the stone and hits Goliath square in the forehead. It's obvious that Goliath's armor was not the helmet of salvation. Goliath falls down dead, but just to make sure, David takes out his sword, the Goliath's sword that is, runs over, stands in the giant and cuts the head of him. Cuts the head of him. Do you not know that your Savior crushed the head of your enemy at Calvary? He cut the head of Goliath. The stone was embedded into his head. Do you know what Goliath said when his stone hit his head? He says, a thing like God never entered my mind before. <laughs> Goliath was the only man who was a stone heavier when he was dead than he was when he was alive. 
unfortunately, later on, chapter 21, we haven't time to look at it. David's on the run again, further into flight from Saul. He goes to the priests of Israel. And there are Abiathar's there. And he takes bread, showbread from the table. And the priest comes out and is ready to give off and recognizes it's David. David has no weapons. And listen to what he says. He says, here is, I'm paraphrasing this, but here is the sword of Goliath. David, here's the sword of Goliath. And David reaches out and he takes the sword. He says, there's none like it. Give me it. Or give it me, as the scripture says. And he takes, as it were, the sword of Goliath. You know what he done? In his fear, in his worry, in his running, he turned to the armor of man. He took Goliath's sword. And I'll tell you what, it didn't do him any good. For he ended up at a chess palace, the king of Gath. And there he feigns himself mad with spittle running down his beard. And there he's clawing at the doorpost because he realizes he could die here. And what happens? A chess looks at him and he says, Is this David who they sing about in Israel? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And he chases him from his testimony. Lost his testimony. He lost his testimony. I can tell you, see this last two years, I've seen many Christians with their spittle running down their beard and clawing on the doorposts of the enemy. I've seen them do it and they've put on the armor of man instead of putting on the whole armor of God. And if you want to know where to find that, go to Ephesians 6. I've taught on it a couple of times before. Brothers and sisters, what have you on this morning? God's armor? Or man's armor? If you haven't got God's armor, get it all. Read Ephesians 6 and get it all. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. Team, would you come up, please? We're going to sing.